Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we sing of the guiding light and the heavenly country bright, we're reminded that we remain in darkness yet in this world. And we come before God and confess our sins. From Ephesians 5, verse 31 this morning, hear God's word. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Thus far the reading of God's word. This morning we're looking at the second, a second hallmark of Reformed thinking about biblical truth, the covenant. And I'm jumping ahead in the lineup at this point a bit to the idea that God places us in covenant in our earthly relationships. And we see a list of those here in this passage I've just read, the covenant of marriage has blessings and duties. And parents and children are in a different relationship, but it's also a covenantal arrangement with other blessings and duties. And employers and employees have yet another shaped relationship that Paul spells out here. So for now, I'll just make this point. Our life has a defined shape to it. We're called to love one another generally. Uh, Everyone has that call. Uh, But love and covenant loyalty look different depending on our roles. The husband needs to love his wife. The wife needs to respect her husband. Now, I don't think scripture means here that the opposite isn't also true. Husbands should also respect their wives. But men usually find it easier to respect than to love. Men can nod stoically at all the work that she's doing at home. But to show tender and gentle appreciation for it comes a bit harder. So men are called to love. Employees find it hard to work for the Lord. Instead, it's easy to work harder when you know the boss notices. Children, we're prone to disobey our parents. Uh, These all address the unique shape that God has given our lives in various covenants in which he has placed us. So with that in mind, let us kneel uh, and confess our sins before all men God. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for uh, the uh, songs that we can sing, the voices that we can raise in praise of you. Thank you, Lord, that many of them come from your word and that we can voice and sing your uh, words back to you. 
that thank you for uh, an opportunity to renew covenant with you week to week, uh, to renew our devotion, uh, and to hear once again your promises uh, to us in Christ. Let us hear this again today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we began a, a Reformed Basics sermon series. Here at Christ Church, we call ourselves a Reformed Church. And there's a, a cluster of core thoughts that go into this. And I'm trying to uh, hit those main topics in the next few uh, Sundays. Uh, it's, it's the right way to read the Bible, we believe. So it's not like we're uh, reading the Bible and then we have this other set of beliefs over here. That's, well, this is who we are. No, these things are integrated. Uh, these core thoughts uh, that we believe, we believe that they're key to how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible. And so uh, we come to these in that way. Last week we looked at God's sovereignty, uh, how God is powerful over everything, uh, how God's sovereignty is personal in our lives, and how it is purposeful for our good in Christ. So today we look at the idea of covenant God reforges a covenant relationship with his people in Christ. That's, I've got that uh, verb in my uh, sermon outline there for the theme. Reforges. Uh, we've already seen how that covenant was broken in the fall. And God reforges it in mercy. So we're going to consider this uh, kind of in two different ways. There's all kinds of ways to consider the covenant. I'm, I'm going to look at a, a classical definition that's arisen over the past uh, few decades and take each phrase by phrase to kind of do a definition of what covenant is. And uh, we'll stop at each point to consider how that is seen in Scripture. And then kind of a work through of how the covenant works, how God enacts these covenants. Uh, so those are kind of the two main sections there you see in the outline. So first, uh, what a covenant is. There's this classical definition that I've got printed there. A covenant is a solemn bond, sealed in blood, sovereignly administered. And I actually left off a phrase by mistake. It, you can add, with connected blessings and curses. Uh, so a covenant, a, a solemn bond, sealed in blood, sovereignly administered, with uh, connected blessings and curses. So let's consider each of those as we go a little bit. Solemn first. Uh, and uh, so this is a solemn thing that happens, a, a covenant. It's a serious promise, a, a reverent oath would be one way to put it. And we see that used that way in Scripture quite often. Uh, one of the more famous ones is in Job 31, when Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look on a virgin. So there you have a covenant used in the promise kind of sense, in the resolution kind of sense. I've, I've resolved myself personally not to do this or to do this. So covenant is sometimes used in that way. And uh, many in the Christian world know only this part of the covenant idea, and they latch on to the adjective covenant uh, for this purpose, just to make, make anything in the world sound uh, serious and somber and pious. And that's, uh, that's a bit shallow. They're getting at something. There's, something. there's some biblical truth there, but there's more going on. So we, we use the word here as a resolution or a strong commitment. Uh, it's a solemn thing. Well, there's more, though. When, when, when God makes a covenant, when, when he resolves to do something, when he commits to a certain thing, it, it involves us, his people. And so that forms a bond. That's the second thing. And a bond here, that's the classical definition wording I'm using, comes from O. Palmer Robertson, if you know that name. He's a theologian of, of the recent past. Uh, a, a covenant is a bond. 
Uh, that's the, the noun here. That's what the covenant is. And a, a, a more normal <laughs> word for us may be relationship. Okay, this, it's a synonym here, a solemn bond. It's, it's a reverent relationship. Uh, that's what a covenant is. And there's all kinds of relationships. We looked at this a little bit in the call to confession. There's marriage, there's parent and child, there's employer, employee, there's nations and citizens. Uh, all these, many of these, are wrapped up in the idea of covenant. In the Old Testament times, uh, when one uh, conquering nation would come in and invade and conquer another nation, they would set up a covenant with them and say, okay, we've taken you over, now we're this nation and you're this nation and we're going to do this and you're going to do that. And, and in a secular sense, that was seen as that was a covenant called a suzerain-vassal treaty and there's all kinds of uh, theologizing that goes on over that because it looks an awful lot like what happens here in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God. I did this for you. Now you do this for me. And there's uh, some analogy there, but you can take that a little bit too far, I think. So don't, don't go too far with that. But it is similar, right? Nations make trade deals and treaties. Those are covenants of a sort. That's an example. Again, Exodus 20, verse 1, we see that here. God takes up that format, and he says, okay, you're kind of used to those kind of national geopolitical arrangements. Well, here's how it's really, really going to be between God and my people. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I've done this for you. I didn't conquer you. I liberated you. I brought you out from your sins. So now I'm not going to make you do X, Y, and Z. And, and you know, it's not going to be this, this subjecting kind of relationship of empire to colony. But, uh, but he asks of us only what he designed us to do when he created us. So it's, it's taken up in a glorious uh, new form. But this is one kind of bond, relationship. So that's one example. God uh, and his people, Israel, uh, at Sinai. Uh, this is a covenant that God is establishing. There's all kinds of relationships, right? We, marriage is another example we looked at already. Uh, churches uh, have memberships, and many churches call them covenant uh, commitments, right? A membership covenant. They're getting at something there. It's a covenant relationship when you join a church. So a covenant is a solemn bond. And I'll look at this more as we go, just going phrase by phrase briefly right now. A covenant is a bond. There's a sense in which that's a formal contract, right, if you think of a treaty between nations. But there's another sense in which it's a very personal thing, right? God said this in one of our readings, though I was a husband to, you, to them. I've been a husband to you, and that, that's part of the covenant language. So a covenant isn't, you know, it can be just a national thing, but it can also be a personal marriage thing. So uh, marriage is another example. So we have this solemn bond that is established. Who establishes it? Well, it's sovereignly administered. God sets it up. So in this way, it's not like a treaty at all where you've got mutual negotiation. Right? No, we, Abraham doesn't come to God and kind of negotiate this covenant with him. God simply comes to him sovereignly, sets it up. He calls him out uh, of his family, out of his country, uh, to a new land with a new promise that Abraham had never thought of. And God initiates this. God initiates every covenant in that way. God, a covenant is solemn, sovereignly administered. Fourth, a covenant is, uh, requires participation. 
And that's always important to emphasize when we, uh, as, as Reformed people, we're big on God's sovereignty, as we saw last week. And so we emphasize that, God, that a covenant is sovereignly administered, right? Uh, that God uh, sets this up uh, for us. That's true. We also need to emphasize the parallel that we need to participate in it. If we emphasize the sovereignty point too much, we can uh, abuse that doctrine and wind up saying, well, it's all been done for us. There's really nothing for us to do. But no, participation is required, especially the need for faith today. We need faith uh, in God to be uh, faithful participants in God's covenant. We see that in Exodus 19, verse 8, in our text, when uh, God sovereignly says, I've brought you out of Egypt, now you're at my mountain, now hear my words. Then Moses takes that statement from God back to the people, and the people say in verse 8, all the Lord has spoken we will do, which kind of makes us shake our heads because we know the story, right? A few chapters later, they're going to worship the golden calf. So there's a lot of irony there. But the principle is sound. There needs to be a response like that to God's covenant when he brings us in to it. So we need uh, faith in God's covenant. There are conditions, is another way to say this. When God uh, creates Adam and Eve in the garden, sets them in the garden, tells them don't eat from the tree, there's a condition there. If they eat from the tree, there's going to be consequences. That's those connected blessings and curses in the covenant. If they uh, obey God, they will have life and blessing and joy in the garden. If they eat from the fruit of the tree, there's going to be consequences. And there are indeed. Now in the covenant of grace that God has set up after, the, after that fall from uh, grace in the, in the garden, there are still uh, conditions in the covenant. We're still called to believe. God can place us in the covenant from birth at, at our baptism as we enter uh, in, in a believing family into God's people. But if we never come to faith, then uh, that the covenant is, is broken. It, it, we cannot remain in the covenant simply by birth. Uh, faith is required. So participation is, is required in, in the covenant. And we ought to remember this week to week, just in uh, some application here. I saw this excellent article online the other day about how we need to not be training our uh, the church should not be training her people uh, to simply watch, uh, to be spectators in a worship service. Our worship services are meant to be as participatory as possible, right? We're in a sermon, we're listening, engaged in song, we're, we're singing with our, with our minds, knowing what we're singing, uh, and so on. Very important. And much of the modern church is, is training their people to be spectators again in the music where they're watching a concert more than singing themselves uh, and so on. So we need to be careful to be as participatory as we can, training our kids to, to engage with the worship service as much as possible. So uh, that goes to the next point. Children included is the next point of the outline there. Our children are included in the covenant. This uh, takes us back to Genesis 17. Uh, when I told one of our kids that I was preaching on the covenant, uh, to my delight, they said, oh, Genesis 17, right? So they're, they're catching on to some degree. And I said, oh, actually, Exodus 19. But anyway, some, some Genesis 17, yes. Because in Genesis 17, uh, God establishes his covenant with Abraham. And he says at the end, uh, now apply the sign. This is the covenant, circumcision. Uh, you and any of your children, eight days old, 
anybody who comes into your house. So the Old Testament principle we have right there in Genesis 17, uh, from eight days, apply the sign of the covenant to your children. We have no sign of this changing in the New Testament. Uh, In the New Testament, we continue to apply the sign of God's covenant to our children. In the book of Acts, there's all kinds of debate about this, but the baptisms in the book of Acts, most of them are household baptisms. Uh, In the New Testament, there's this emphasis on uh, believing before you're being baptized. That's what throws so many uh, Baptists off there. They say, well, this has changed. Right? They, they'll argue it's different now than it was for Abraham. Because you see in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels and in Acts, that they're now called to believe before the, the sign is applied to them. I think that's uh, distorted and messed up because uh, it, it's a first-generation uh, evangelism. Right? There's a new message about Jesus that we need to believe. When we go into a new place where no one has ever heard the gospel before, it's the same kind of situation. We'll preach to the adults, to the kids too, but especially we want the adults to understand, to believe, and to be, and to be baptized then. But what do you do with the second generation? You baptize their kids. So that's the, the pattern that's going on here. We see the same thing in Ephesians 6, right? Paul treats children, he treats you kids as covenant members. He naturally believes that you'll, be, that you'll be in the church service listening as his letter is read uh, to the church in Ephesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He goes on. So kids, uh, take that as a sign. You belong here in this worship service. Uh, Paul doesn't expect you to be in children's church somewhere else. You belong here. This worship service is for you. And God gives you promises. He says you'll live long in the land. He gives you commands. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. That's all covenant language, right? God setting up this relationship. I'm going to be this for you. You do this for me. And here's the blessing. Here's, here's the consequence, if not. So children, you are included in this covenant. A couple of more points before we look at how this works. Uh, covenants are sealed in blood. Covenants are sealed in blood. We read this in Hebrews 9. Most of the Old Testament covenants involved blood, starting right in the Garden of Eden, right? The animal that died in the garden when God clothed Adam and Eve. There was blood shed there. That's the first death in creation, the death for the sin of Adam and Eve. And there was in ancient history an understanding of capital punishment like that. But the breaking of serious covenants meant the death of the violator. And so when God tells Adam that he's going to have a child, this is in Genesis 15, but it's been several years, and Abraham says, my servant is my heir right now. And it's been that way for 20 years, and you've promised this for 20 years. How how do I know? And so God says to him, go get a bunch of animals, basically. And so the next thing it says is Abraham got a bunch of animals, and he cut them up, and, he, and the blood ran in between. And we're like, what? What is this going on? Well, Abraham is carrying out this practice that was common in the culture. Abraham knows what to do with them. Cut them in half and form a little river of blood between them. Again, at the time, each party of the covenant, they would walk through the blood after they make this agreement. 
And they would, they'd be promising by doing that to abide by the sentence of death if they broke it. If I break this agreement, you can do this to me. That's what they were saying. Very visceral kind of thing. The covenant is sealed in blood. That's what was going on. Uh, Jeremiah, if you're wondering how obscure this is, well, it is, but Jeremiah 34, 18 also mentions it, this passing between the pieces. But God, when God sets this up with Abraham in Genesis 15, God doesn't make Abraham walk through. Abraham doesn't go through. The smoking fire pot does, which is a symbol for God. It's a theophany of God. So God walks through the blood. He's promising that that this will happen to him if we break this covenant. And that's what happens. He sends Jesus to shed his own blood for us. God's covenant promises are sealed by the blood of Jesus. They're made effectual by the blood of Jesus. In other words, they're made to happen. The promises are kept by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Covenants are sealed in blood. Covenants also have signs. Uh, I missed a point there at the end, so after the sealed in blood. Sacraments are signs and seals of the covenant. And we, we hear this every week at the Lord's table, right? As I raise the cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. <clears throat> we have there a, a sacramental unity where we say the bread is the body of Christ, right? The body of Christ, broken for you, I hold up. Uh, there's always a, an interesting little discussion that pastors like to have about that. How do we administer the Lord's Supper? Do you say uh, the body of Christ has been broken for you as you hold up the bread? That, that makes a distinction more between the bread you're holding up and the body of Christ, right? And uh, most Reformed folks in our setting would say, no, you don't say has been broken because that makes too much of a difference. The whole point is to make a sacramental unity the body of Christ broken for you. And we, and we hold up the bread to say that there's a, there's a sacramental unity by faith between the, the bread and the body of Christ. As we eat this bread by faith, we're united with the body of Jesus by the Spirit's work. So there's this unity there. Not that we believe in a physical change that we're actually eating Jesus, no. But putting those two things those two different things together with is, it's kind of like putting God's pleasure with Jesus on us. Right? Those are two different things, too. We're sinners. God loves Jesus, his son. He delights in him. And Jesus joins those two things. We're united with Christ. We can't quite square it physically or logically. How can that be? But God has said that it is so. And so John the Baptist, Jesus comes to him, and John wonders, too, I need to be baptized by you. Why, are, why would you want me to baptize you? He, John baptizes Jesus. And so we receive bread and wine by faith, because God has said this is so. Sacraments are, are signs and seals of the covenant. They show us what's going on. Well, there's a lot more that can be said. As I mentioned last week, this is a Reformed Basics uh, uh, consideration here so we could uh, go into a sermon on each of these points but let's jump to how the covenant works how, how does the covenant work there's, 
there's these five <coughs> steps that I've got mentioned there, and you'll probably be sick of these by the time <coughs> we're through. But once you start seeing this, you'll see this in all of Scripture. Uh, the covenant, in the covenant, God seizes us, he separates us, he speaks to us, he gives signs to us, and he sees ahead for us. And I just want to walk through a couple of the covenants, a few that God makes with his people, uh, so that you see this a bit. They're not always exactly all five there or in the exact order, but you see this pattern throughout uh, God's dealings with his people. When God covenants with Adam and Eve, God separates uh, a, a rib from Adam, and he makes Eve. God speaks to them. Uh, many see the trees uh, of life and of knowledge of good and evil as the signs of this covenant of life, <clears throat> the tree of life and the tree that brings death if you eat it. And then when they fall into sin, God sees ahead in promising the seed of the woman. So you see God covenanting uh, with his people through those five steps. When God calls Abraham in Genesis 12, he separates him from his family and country. He speaks promises to him. He gives signs, like we read in Genesis 17, of circumcision. And he sees ahead, and he, he promises Abraham children and a land. Uh, in, in, our, in our text in Exodus 19 and 20, at, at Sinai, God seizes Israel, takes a hold of Israel, brings them out of Egypt. He separates them from Egypt. He speaks to them at Sinai. He gives them signs along the way, the Passover lamb and the tabernacle and, and much more. And he sees ahead for Israel, and he promises them possession of Canaan. God's covenant with his people, uh, reiterated over and over. When Jesus comes, in Jesus' own saving work, uh, the culmination of all of this, it's the same pattern. God takes hold of his son and takes hold of his world. And we have an incarnation. God seizes uh, his son. And then Jesus is separated from his father. And then separated in death like all the animal sacrifices were. But Jesus speaks to us before and after his death in his prophetic work. He gives the signs of baptism in the Lord's Supper. He sees ahead for his people. He provides for his church in the New Testament epistles all the way to the end of Revelation. He gives promises of the consummation of the covenant in the end. He, he is, sets up his church with offices and gifts. He sees ahead for his people. This is God, how he deals with his people in covenant. It's an amazing uh, system, and uh, when you see the five steps going uh, on and on throughout Scripture, it's amazing how consistent, how steadfast God is in dealing with us. Well, let's uh, uh, close quickly here. Just uh, apply this in one way. Well, two things. Uh, first, know your blessings and your obligations. That's the phrase that I left out of the, the definition up, up top. A solemn bond, sealed in blood, sovereignly administered, with connected blessings and curses, right? So uh, one thing to do, to do with this kind of talk, this kind of message, is to consider what is the covenant? Where does the Bible talk about covenant? Uh, how does God deal with us? How, how can I better know what my blessings are that God is giving to me? And what my obligations are. What is this relationship God has put me in? With himself? With my spouse? With my kids? At my job? The Bible has something to say about all of those things. Uh, how uh, can we better live uh, faithfully in God's covenant in each of our roles? 
That's one thing. And second, I'd just give you one more example of this uh, five-step pattern to apply this in our families, for example. Uh, how would we apply the idea that God seizes us in covenant? Well, as a parent to your children, grab hold of your children now and then in a, in a good way. You know, Get their attention. Give them attention. Give them love. Your spouse, touch your spouse lovingly. Uh, speak to one another. Uh, have that kind of, they used to call it couch time, where you put the phones down and you're looking at each other, actually. That, that, that's step one, seize. Separate. Uh, parents are called, in, in a sense, to separate their children from their sin. That, that's one uh, task that parents have. When, when the kids are getting uh, tangled in, in some sinful behavior, the parent needs to intervene and step in and separate the child from their sin uh, to, the, to the best extent that we as earthly uh, parents can do that. Uh, as far as your, your marriage goes, we're, we're, we say this in our wedding vows, we will forsake all others right, to be with our spouse. There's a separation there where we separate ourselves from something else to our spouse. So seize, separate, speak. Speak to your family. I know that family worship has been overdone in the past and in pressing for long readings or sermons, uh, but there is a, a place for a kind, uh, a teaching sentence or two when you aren't frustrated with your parent, with your kids, when you aren't, or your parents, when you aren't, when you aren't uh, correcting your children. Uh, that kind sentence goes a long ways. Uh, last night we were talking something over as a family, and mom made a great point that we all needed to hear. And one of the kids said, Mom, when did you get so wise? In this kind of ironic, you know, sarcastic way. That, that'll happen from time to time. If you, if you sit down and, and talk with one another, speak with one another, read the Bible together to let God speak to you all. We need to make time for that in our busy schedules. So seize, separate, speak, uh, sign. God gives signs of the covenant, right? Uh, in our families, we can do this as well. We can give signs to one another uh, of, of our covenant faithfulness and love to each other. I think that's all about body language. Uh, the signals that you give to your spouse or to your children, that you favor them, that you desire to be with them. You know, you can say all day long that I, I love you, I want to spend time with you. But, but if a parent never actually does that, that, that's problematic. So not just with your words, while your eyes and your hand are towards your phone or your TV or your laptop or the next chore, whatever it is. God gave us signs uh, purely to assure us of his love for us. So how can we do the same in our families? Uh, that's a good question to ask. And the last point is the see ahead point. This one we, we in, our, in our financial prudence, we're often more focused on. And it's a good thing. Uh, how do we see ahead for our families? We save money for them. We, we prepare them for life in the world. Uh, we think what they'll need in the next five years. And we get ready to give that to our kids. These kinds of things. We, this is all covenant kind of obligations and duties and blessings as well. So just one example there of how the covenant works in our families. Again, the, the theme here is that God reforges a covenant relationship with his people in Christ. That begins in the Godhead itself. There are many theologians who see a covenant within God, that the Father covenants with the Son to save us, 
And the same kind of structure is there. You can see at the end of Isaiah 59, if you're interested sometime. So you have a covenant within God, and then God deals with us in covenant in the same way, to bring us to salvation, to bring us back to himself. And we ourselves, in our earthly relationships, uh, mirror the same kind of relationship pattern. So with that, let us uh, give thanks to the Lord for this uh, faithfulness he has shown to us. Let's pray. Faithful Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, dealing with us in covenant. Thank you that you have uh, given to us structured relationships, that there's uh, both structure and that there is also uh, a tenderness and a, and a flexibility and a love, a compassion that you show to us and that you call us to show to others. Thank you, Lord God, that you are a great God of mercy, compassion, and truth. We thank you for sending to us the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We think again in this season of Epiphany, how the wise men were guided by the star to the cradle, to uh, the Lord Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue guiding us in truth by your word to greater understanding of these things. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, the ever-living word and light. And we sing as we talk to pray. Just going to read those verses from Matthew one more time for our communion exhortation. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Jesus followed the same covenant pattern at the table. Seize, separate, speak. Right? Jesus took bread, he seized it, he broke it, ripped it apart, separated it, spoke words of institution. He spoke a whole upper room discourse, actually, uh, John 14 to 17. A lot of speaking around that table. Then he gives the sign of bread and wine. And he also sees ahead. In that upper room discourse, he prepared them as he was going away. He prepared them for what was coming. In my father's house are many rooms. I tell you now, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So while God has done all of this for us, we are called to participate. Take this bread and wine by faith with all your heart. Let us receive Christ and rest on him alone for our salvation today. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.